We now have our reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verses 2 through 10. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know. But God knows. Was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressibly things things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would not be speaking the truth, but I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Amen. And our reading from Mark's Gospel. The reading comes from Mark chapter 6, verses 1 to 13. A prophet without honor. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things? they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own, own town, among his relatives and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few people who were ill and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Jesus sends out the twelve. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, Stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. 
They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed with oil many people who were ill and healed them. Thank you. There is a story about two small boys, terrible troublemakers, and their parents, devout churchgoers, decided to take them to the minister and ask him to speak with them. Well, the minister agreed, but only insisting that he speak to the boys one at a time. So the parents brought the first child, the youngest, to the church and left him with the minister. The young lad sat opposite the minister, and the minister asked him, Where is God? The boy didn't say anything. So the minister tried again. Where is God? Still nothing from the boy. The final time he asked him, where is God? He was surprised to see the young lad shoot up out of his chair, run out of the church all the way home and into his brother's bedroom. We're in real trouble this time, said the boy. God's missing and they think we took him. <laughs> well, I, as a mother of three boys, I can sympathize with those parents. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be able to take your children to the minister and go, put the fear of God into them, sort them out, make them behave? But sadly, that's not the way it works. What I really did like about the story was, though, the question that the minister asked those boy, that boy, where is God? It's a really important question, and one of the first questions people ask when they think that there might actually be a God. For me, when I was a very small child, God was in a beautiful building that we visited on Sunday morning. I don't know, maybe you see God here in this building or in your own church building. I wonder, what would you point to if you were asked, where is God? For me, I see God here in our Bible, in the cross, the communion table. I see God coming through the windows there, that beautiful sunlight. I see God in the songs that we have sung this morning and in each of you. As the years have gone by, I've been astonished to find God in all sorts of places. In silence, in nature, in the stranger that I meet on the street, in art, in knitting, and quite often over a cup of coffee. As part of my training, I was required to take up a rule of life which in part is designed to help us find God in the ordinary and every day and to spend time with him there. Part of my rule of life was to cherish God's creation. So our family took up a promise to conserve water in our household. And we reflected on the Bible verse from Job which says, For he draws up the drops of water. He distills his mist in rain. 
which the skies pour down and drop upon mortals abundantly. This was put up in our kitchen, and every time I did the washing up in a way designed to conserve water and cherish creation, I would look at this verse and reflect on it. I would spend time with God praying, thanking him for this wonderful creation of his, praising him for the beauty of the world, asking his forgiveness for the times that I had maybe misused it or misspent it when I hadn't been a good steward, and asking him to guide me as I continued on my journey with him. To this day, four years later, I still find God in that very ordinary, everyday task of washing up the dishes. During my training, I've been blessed to see God in all sorts of other places. In the hospital ward, in the food bank, in the drop-in centre, and in the dementia cafe. I've seen and met God in all the denominations that I've worked alongside and in those who profess that they have no faith at all. I have learned to see the Holy Spirit far more now, working out there in our communities just as much as in here in our beautiful house of God. The minister's question, where is God, is one that we should constantly be asking ourselves. I'd like to think now, at this stage in my life, that I'm able to spot God more easily, that I can see him in all sorts of times and places and in all sorts of people. And maybe I could even see God if he turned up in a gorilla. The monkey business illusion. Count how many times the players wearing white pass the ball. The correct answer is 16 passes. Did you spot the gorilla? For people who haven't seen or heard about a video like this before, about half miss the gorilla. If you knew about the gorilla, you probably saw it. But did you notice the curtain changing color or the player on the black team leaving the game? Let's rewind and watch it again. Here comes the gorilla, and there goes a player, and the curtain is changing from red to gold. When you're looking for a gorilla, you often miss other unexpected events. And that's the monkey business illusion. Learn more about this illusion and the original gorilla experiment at theinvisiblegorilla.com.
I have to say, when I first saw that, I was incredibly shocked. Half of the people missed the gorilla. I was like, really? But apparently so. And it just goes to show you that when we can, that we can miss things that are absolutely spectacular when we're so focused on looking for something else. And the first half of our reading from Mark's Gospel this morning is in part about spotting the gorilla. It tells us about Jesus returning to his hometown. And of course, everyone spotted that it's Jesus. They all know him. But even after he shows his knowledge and he speaks with such authority, they don't spot God. They don't even spot that he is a man of God. They're expecting perhaps a super apostle, you know, I don't know, lightning, earthquakes, I'm not sure. But whatever it is, Jesus is just a bit too ordinary and every day, bless him, to make the grade. After all, they say, he's Mary's son. Who's the father? We know his sisters. We know his brothers. He's just the local carpenter. He's no one special. He's not the Messiah or a man of God. He's no apostle. He's just simply one of us. And so Jesus ends up leaving, astonished at their stumbling and bumbling, and perhaps a little bit miffed with them as well. The first part of our reading is a warning to us. Be careful where you look for God. Be careful of looking over here when God's over here. Be careful of not spotting God when he shows up in unexpected places. And so, in the second part of our reading, when the disciples are sent out, they leave with this warning ringing in their ears. Put down your expectations. Travel with an open mind. And it isn't just expectations that they're supposed to travel light with, is it? It's also their physical baggage. They can go and they can take a staff and some sandals. I cannot imagine going on a journey of undetermined time with only a staff and a pair of sandals. I remember the very first holiday we went on as a family. My children were about nine months, two and three. And I packed everything, from sun cream to Wellington boots. I bought a guidebook to tell me what we'd see when we got there, where we would visit, what we would do. I had it all planned out. Can you imagine if the disciples had done that? If they had taken everything with them that they thought they needed and plotted their route and decided what they were going to do when they got to each village and stuck with that plan. Well, I can tell you what would have happened on our holiday to South Wales, the lovely little B&B. We wouldn't have been able to go and visit the local farm that had opened up the local petting area quite quick, 
it recently, we wouldn't have had the most beautiful meals in the evening at a local cosy restaurant, which all of us enjoyed, because we wouldn't have listened to the local B&B lady who had all the inside information. If I'd gone all self-reliant and I've got everything I need and I don't need to listen to you and think about the place we'd gone to, we wouldn't have managed any of those things. We would, all five of us, also have spent the week soaked to the skin. The weather forecast was mixed. It turned out to be torrential. And if I hadn't gone up to the local shopkeepers and said, please, can you sell me some more clothes and more shoes even, we would have had a very soggy week. In fact, if I hadn't taken into account the people and the place that we were going to, our journey would not have been half as joyful or half as successful as it actually was. If the disciples had gone with everything that they needed they wouldn't have been reliant on the hospitality of the people that they met. In that reliance, they were forced to take the place and the people seriously. They were forced to look for God in unexpected places and seek out where the Holy Spirit was working and leading them. If they hadn't been reliant on the hospitality of others, they wouldn't have had to make relationships with them. And in those relationships, they wouldn't have been able to evangelize in the way that they did. They were able to evangelize through who they were in their everyday relationships with these people. They were able to evangelize through what they did, their actions each day living alongside them. And they were able to evangelize through what they said in those day-to-day -day conversations, the ordinary ones you have, that just talk about this and that, and where they could simply tell them of the loving God they'd come to spread the good news about. So when we travel out to tell others about God, like the disciples, to spread the good news, what should we take with us? Well, I would suggest that we should travel light, just like the disciples. That we should put down preconceived ideas about where God is and where the Holy Spirit is working. We should put down the weight of those detailed plans that become so cumbersome that when we finally get out there, they're out of date, like my guidebook or we've lost all our enthusiasm for the journey. We put down the expectation that only the very best biblical scholars or the best speakers can actually be fit for the journey. And we release ourselves from all the right answers and the right ways of doing things. We put down the burden of being self-reliant and having to carry absolutely everything that we need with us. This way, we are free to see God in not just the expected places, but in the unexpected places. We are free to see the Holy Spirit working in those places and through those people, some of whom might not even know his name. We are free to take ourselves just as we are, as testaments 
to the God that we love. This way, we are free to be dependent on the communities that we travel out to. We're dependent on their welcome, on listening to them, on walking alongside them, getting to know them, and forming real, genuine relationships with them, and then building the kingdom together. This way, we are free to learn about God from those people, places, and situations. Of course, it's risky to travel light, but it's a risk that we do need to take, even if it's a bit scary. We learn from our Bible reading from Mark that Jesus kind of failed in his hometown, and the disciples failed to make disciples and converts in all the towns and places that they traveled to. So it's okay to take the risk. It's okay for it not to always work out. And when that happens, we do just as Jesus told his disciples to do. We shake the dust from our sandals, the dust of judgment, the dust of disappointment, the dust of hurt, the dust that is that sense of failing. And we carry on light in heart. We continue to travel light. We continue to travel back to our God, just as the disciples traveled back to Jesus, who we never really left. Back to share our stories, back to share the good news, back to be fed and refreshed, back to worship at the feet of our God, and to continue to travel light. Amen.